Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Faith to Go podcast. My name is Charlotte Pressler, and I am the youth missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And I'm the Reverend Hannah Wilder, and I am the clergy in charge at St. Luke's Episcopal Church right now, filling in for the regular co-pastors, Colin and Laurel Matthewson, while they're on sabbatical. Thanks, Hannah, for being here. Oh, it's so fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Hannah is my co-host today because David is taking a well-deserved vacation with his family and we miss him, but Hannah and I are always happy to hang out together, both in person and on Zoom, which is how we're recording today. (laughs) Yes, I love hanging out with you, Charlotte. (laughs) So Hannah, um, I know you named where you are currently working, but will you tell us a little bit more about your ministry context right now? Sure. Yeah. So I'm filling in on Sunday morning. So um, at St. Luke's, which has got a large refugee population from mostly the South Sudan and the Congo. And so we have really awesome music and, you know, drums and like we have had this cool summer of renewal where different voices are giving the sermons and then we'll break into small groups and discuss the sermon content. So it's just been a very vibrant rich, expansive summer. (laughs) And I love it. Yeah, that sounds really exciting, both for the people of St. Luke's, but also I think I would take a lot of energy from being part of that work and conversation. Very inspiring. It's super inspiring. And it's great to get to know people in small groups and not just to like arrive, sit in your pew, shake hands at the piece and then leave, but like actually get to know each other. It's been great. Yeah. See each other in a new (laughs) light. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And speaking of seeing things in a new light, Hannah, do you have a God sighting this week? I do. I do. So um, (laughs) it was Saturday. We had a memorial service for a young person who died in our community. She was about 20 years old. And so that was very sad. Um, And the family didn't arrive for the three o'clock service until 2.59. And in fact, some of the readers and the person who was going to give the eulogy didn't arrive until like 3.19. And the singer, the main singer, like choir director person didn't arrive till like 3.20. So um, I was like beside myself as the organizer, as the person leading this liturgy. I was like, I had to just like be like, God, this is your church. And I'm going to sit down and just wait patiently. (laughs) And I was so stressed out. And I was like, what is happening? I do not understand. (laughs) But you know what? Then once the service started, we started late. We started like 325, which is fine. Not the end of the world, you know. And the music was great and vibrant. And, you know, by 330, we had a full choir. And um, I do believe that God's presence was there and that the family felt ministered to and loved and were able to share their remembrances of their beautiful daughter and sister and friend. And so, you know, it was all okay. I just had to like let go of my own pre- preconceived notions to be able to like be open and welcome the spirit, which was obviously there. Oh, I love that so much, Hannah, because in those moments of high anxiety, it's actually easier to feel like God's not there than it <laughs> is to be open to the ways in which God is present in those times too. Yeah. And yet for me, I feel like when everything's going great in my life, I forget to depend on God. And I literally, Charlotte, all I could do was just be like, 
oh yeah, God, this is all about God. Like uh-huh. <laughs> I'm freaking out and stressing out. And it's like, oh yeah, God, God, this is God's church, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then in those stressful times, that's when I do turn to God more. I'm ashamed to say, like, I wish I turned to God all the time, you know, but it's when I'm stressed out and I'm like, ah, I need something other than myself. And then I remember to turn to God. So, well, and it, what a reminder that is of our very human inclination to try to control everything ourselves. Totally. Um, right. <laughs> Especially when we're trying to be a resource to other people that I think that then, particularly if I feel like someone is counting on me that then I have to control everything about it. Yes. I make sure it goes perfectly. I do it perfectly. All my ducks are in a row and marching and quacking in order. Um, <laughs> and so that then when they start waddling off or, you know, are completely absent, it that can throw me into a spiral because I feel like I'm letting people down. That is exactly what I was battling. Like my own sense of responsibility and perfectionism. I just had to let it go. And I finally did just sit down and just wait. Cause what else could I do? You know, I couldn't make people. Yeah, that too. (laughs) You for not crying in a corner, Hannah. (laughs) Sometimes I do that. I know, me too. And you know what? That's a perfectly valid way to respond to situations too. So I'm not naming that it isn't. Um, my <laughs> youngest daughter just started driving across country for her next adventure in life um, that is happening. And she will say that like she cries through most things she does, but she still does them. Mm, that's and so awesome. I don't want to diminish power. I don't want to say that tears are weak. Um, because all they are is just emotions that got too big for our body. And so they therefore are spilling out of our eyes. And sometimes the willingness to release them allows us to have the courage to do whatever the thing is that is intimidating us. So sitting quietly with God, crying it out, whatever it is that allows you in those stressful situations to connect fully, I think is your way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Whatever helps us to be embodied and present. And often it is tears for me. I feel like I cry at least once a day, you know. (laughs) Maybe that's our question for people. Where is your God sighting this week? And how many times a day do you cry? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you cried? Hopefully recently. That's, that's, that is, um, actually, I think that's a great conversation to have. Maybe we'll put that up as an Instagram poll too. And that is a great way to also talk about how you can get in contact with us. So in the description of this podcast, you will find all of the ways you can reach us on Instagram, on the website, you can email us, leave us a voicemail, all of the ways. Um, and we'd love to know what are your God sightings for the week. And also like in those moments of high stress, how do you connect to God and to yourself and what is your coping? mechanism in that. If it's tears, that's great. Um, If it's quiet meditation, that's great too. But what is your way of connecting more fully to God and to yourself in those moments of high stress? I think that takes us to our conversation around the gospel this week. This week, we will be hearing proper 19, which is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Um, It is for Sunday, September 11th. And I am going to read the gospel. And then after I read it, Hannah is going to give us a little bit of context on it. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. 
Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yeah, so in our context this week, we really just have, you know, last Sunday's reading about the cost of being a disciple. And then there's like one verse and then we that we don't hear. And then we pick up with the parable of the lost sheep. So we don't, we're just moving through Luke. We don't really miss anything at all. Um, and it's important to note that in chapter 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep, followed by the parable of the lost coin, followed by the parable of the lost son. So I think that's significant that these all hang together. And it really can be seen as like a narrowing of focus because you go from losing one sheep out of 99 to losing one coin out of 10 to losing one son out of two, you know, and just it's like more and more valuable things that are lost. And yet the rejoicing is always there. I love that. And also, Hannah, in this in this lectionary cycle, we aren't going to get to hear the prodigal. Is that right? That's right. Yes. We don't hear that this year. So if you want to read that after you have listened to this podcast, please go back and read that story um, because we will jump ahead for the next um, gospel when we talk about it in our lectionary cycle next week when David is back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for today, I actually have the first point because I'm going to talk about this very first section that we hear, which is all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And what I was thinking about in this was who is invited and who is not. And actually, I think that everybody was invited, that Jesus didn't tell the tax collectors and the sinners that they could come and that the Pharisees and the scribes that they could not come. Um, it was the Pharisees and the scribes who were unhappy about the other people that were invited. And so, and that actually kind of leans into our Episcopal identity a little bit too, you know, what it means to all of us, that all means all, that mm -hmm. everybody is included, the people we agree with and the people that we disagree with, the people that we think are doing it right and the people that we are convinced are doing it wrong, um, that that all has to do more with our stuff, those labels and that judgment that comes from our internal processing and not from Jesus, not from scripture, because Jesus absolutely invited the tax collectors and the sinners. Um, you can't see me making my air quotes, but I think we're all sinners. True, true story. Right um, yes. Maybe I should just speak for myself. <laughs> speak but, for yourself, Charlotte. <laughs> right? um, but that 
Jesus invited those people who had been marginalized and not included by other groups, but Jesus didn't marginalize and not include the already included people that were in there. He wasn't like, okay, well now they are in and you are now out. Instead, it's more a message of all means all. And these people are invited and need the message and what is being told here too. And I think that that is where this lesson, the two parables that he tells immediately after this actually springs from, because what he's trying to do is taking people who are grumbling and disgruntled and show them the value of having everybody be invited to the table. And so he's naming that it's all of us by illustrating the importance of the people that he is now choosing to include. And I think that it's important to afford ourselves the opportunity to think about where we are in this story. Um, And I know that I just said, aren't we all sinners? And certainly there are times where I identify with the person who has made the mistake and is often the uninvited or unincluded. And whether that is a mistake that I've made or a label that society has put on me um, that has warranted my being excluded. But I also think that there's times where I need to open up my perspective and see myself as one of the already included group that is very comfortable with the circle that I identify with, with my friends that are gathered around the table. And that even if I'm not sitting in judgment on people that aren't there, I don't know that I am constantly looking for who doesn't have a seat at the table and thinking that I need to go outside of the doors, um, maybe of our churches, mm-hmm. and invite them in to to be with us and be in relationship with us. Because clearly that's what Jesus is doing in this. Jesus is not just taking the status quo of who is already seated at the table and whatever that meal is going to look like with those people that are there, the planned for. Instead, Jesus is thinking and inviting, actively including the people who are not part of the party already and saying like, no, this is for you too. come and be with us. Absolutely. And I think it's relentlessly inviting, like relentlessly searching for like using every single resource at God's disposal to bring those who are lost, marginalized, you know, told they're not worthy those people on the outskirts, the outcasts, bring them in to eat with them, you know, to celebrate, to party with them. So what I was thinking about is when one more person is brought into the community of God, like, do we celebrate as a community? And do we understand how that impacts us as a community? Because these flock, I mean, 99 sheep is a big flock. And so unless it was a very wealthy person, that would have meant that different families had sheep in that flock and they hired one shepherd to watch them all so that when one sheep gets lost, it's the entire community that's affected and that suffers. And when that one sheep is returned, the whole community is better and buoyed up and safer and happy. So do we look at our communities that way? I mean, when we look at those who don't have all their ducks in a row, who, you know, have addiction, who are obviously lost, who are struggling with mental health issues and who are floundering financially and who haven't made the best decisions in life and who haven't had all the social support that we have had. I mean, do we look at these people who we might consider lost? Do we look at them as someone who is vital and necessary for our survival, for our well-being? 
that it's, you know, our responsibility to go and to find them and to bring them back so that we can be better as a whole, you know, and I think until we understand that we are all necessary to one another and that we are all one, we're all connected, um, it'll be hard for us to understand that rejoicing that's at the end of each of these parables. But, you know, if we see ourselves as like self-contained and self-sufficient and paying our own way and not having to ask anybody for anything, then when somebody else is restored to wholeness, we're like, oh yeah, that's a bonus. That's good for them, you know? But if we realize that um, when other people are lacking, that we ourselves are lacking, you know, and that there is there are places in us that are suffering because others are suffering. Like that's the real transformation, you know, and to bring it back to church, like there are open seats in our church, you know, waiting to be filled. And God has invited us to be the ones to go out and to find people to fill those spots so that we can celebrate. It's like a community wide celebration. And it's not easy. It's hard work, you know, to go and like be with people in their wilderness and their struggle. But, um, that's why we come together each week to be renewed and to be equipped for the work. Yeah. Well, and Hannah, you said so many things in there that I really deeply connected with, but I'm thinking about both at the very beginning, when you were just talking about my point, you used the word relentless. Um, And I think you said it a couple of times in a row. And I was thinking about that, about how like, it's not just, okay, I did it. Check. (laughs) And, and move on from there. But that this is something that we're called to do over and over again. And that you are correct, that can be exhausting. Um, exhausting because that is emotional work. It is opening yourself up to new people and new experiences and analyzing your own motivations and behaviors and things. And how important that time together is to renew us um, to realize that the whole is what gives us the strength to do that work that our relationship with God is how we breathe into that work and that those things really work together to allow us to rejoice. And it's real clear in this scripture that, that Jesus is requiring the rejoicing. It's, it's not <laughs> optional, right? Yeah. Like, it happens yeah. in both of the stories we hear today and it happens in the story of the prodigal son, which we aren't going to hear this lectionary cycle, but that the rejoicing is required. (laughs) And how might we live our life differently if we required rejoicing? Yeah. I mean, I think in our North American waspy culture, you know, we, we don't, we move from one achievement to to the next and we're like, okay, that's done. I got to like set new goals. And, you know, we don't even stop to take time to rejoice. And that probably like, isn't good for our soul health, you know? Well, just think about your to-do list, right? Like at the end of the day, you look back on your to-do list and instead of celebrating everything you got accomplished, you think about the things you didn't get done and when you're going to get them done the next day. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. And I think it's human nature and it's kind of how our brains are wired, but um, that's why I think Jesus kept the Sabbath. You know, that's why we have a Jubilee year that it talks about in scripture, you know, and that's that's super important. And I think we just kind of lose sight of that, but. Well, in the ways that I think maybe that's my carry away for this week is the way I need to rejoice in the beautiful imperfection of each human being that is either part of our community or needs to be added to our community. Yeah. 
because each human being is infinitely valuable and worth all the resources that it takes to find that person, you know? Well, that's the message I needed for this money Monday. Thanks a bunch, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's always good to be with you and to talk about the gospel. It's so cool. So now that you have heard our two points, um, we invite you to consider what your third point would be. Um, And there are lots of ways if you would like to share it with us that you can, and they're all listed in this podcast description. So go ahead and see how it would work best for you to be in conversation with us and send us an email or an Instagram message, but you are part of our community. We want to hear from you. And we will be back next week um, for the week leading up to September 18th to talk about proper 20. We are still in ordinary time, but not for much longer, my friends. That fall is marching on. It sure is. It's very exciting. We're headed toward the end of the church year and into Advent. I mean, it's going to be here before we know it. No, I know. And I'm not ready, but that's beside the point. But all of that to say, thank you for listening with us this week. And it's time for us to go. And so we say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Come back, David. We miss you. (laughs) (laughs)